0: Well, we've gathered here this evening, uh, as is custom and traditional for the church to do on the Thursday before Easter, to celebrate what has come to be known as Maundy Thursday. And uh, if you were to ask someone what that is, most folks would reply that, well, that's when we remember the events of Jesus last night with his disciples, where they share the communion uh, around the Passover meal together, and it's where Jesus instituted communion, and then he was... In the garden and praying, and ultimately betrayed and arrested. But the word itself, Monday, is from the Latin word mandatum, which basically means a command or an order. It's where we get our English word mandate. And so on Monday, Thursday, really what we gather to do is to remember Jesus' mandate to his disciples a mandate to remember a mandate that he very clearly spelled out in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, when he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, For one another. And I'm sure when the disciples heard that command, maybe Andrew elbowed his brother Peter and said, Pete, I don't think that's a new command. I remember hearing the rabbis say that we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But there was something the disciples didn't fully understand yet. They had seen a little glimpse of it, but they wouldn't fully understand it for hours and quite honestly, maybe even for days. They didn't understand the extent of the love that Jesus was commanding them to have for one another. Love your neighbor as yourself is no new commandment. But to love as I have loved, that was a radically new commandment. More radical than they could know or understand. And there were two events in the room that night Two things that happened specifically that were to be examples and reminders of the kind of love that Jesus was calling us to practice, that he was mandating us to have. One was he washed their feet. The job of the lowliest servant in the house, for some reason it hadn't been taken care of, all the other arrangements had been made, but no one had secured the household servant to be present that night to wash the feet of those who had gathered to meet. It seems a, a little like an odd custom to us, but in, in that culture, in that day and time, people who walked around in sandals and dusty roads would have dirty feet. And when you gathered together, they didn't sit at tables like we sit. I, I appreciate Da Vinci's beautiful painting, but it didn't look like that. In fact, they would have all been reclining at a table, a table that was low to the ground. And so everybody's feet would have been in very close proximity to everybody else. And you would have wanted somebody to wash those feet too. But nobody did it. And so John tells us, he describes that Jesus took off his outer garments, he wrapped a towel around himself, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. As I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. The other thing that happened that evening that was to be a reminder was something That quite honestly, many of the disciples may have taken for granted. It was a meal that they had been eating since childhood. The Passover meal was nothing new. All the traditional feasts and all the elements were something that they would have known and had memorized. But Jesus added something very significant, a significant meaning to that meal. When he said, this bread that is broken for you is my body. And this wine is my blood that's poured out for you. Now they had heard Jesus say something like this before and they no doubt remembered that when he said it, it drove away many people in the crowd. But these disciples had heard him say this and decided to stay. And now here they were again and Jesus was reminding them, every time you do this from now on, do it in remembrance of me. You've always done it in remembrance of the exodus, of the way God delivered our people from slavery in Egypt, but that was just a foreshadow. That was just, that was just something to foretell what ultimately God was going to do when he delivered us from our true slave master, sin. And so they were to love each other as Jesus had loved them. It's a pretty tall order, from this side of the cross, isn't it? How do we love like that? How do we have the capacity to love other people that way? I mean, some of you have trouble getting up and getting the remote for your spouse when they ask for it. Some of us struggle if we're inconvenienced by a train in San Marco, right? Come on, you live here too. How are we supposed to love like that? It seems really pretty well beyond our capacity. The Apostle Paul gave us a clue when he said that we're to have this mind in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, that we're to have the mind of Christ. Well, that's not really very helpful for me on most days. Because if I'm honest, I struggle with living like that. I struggle with thinking like that all the time. How did Jesus actually think? If loving like he loves requires us to have the mind of Jesus, how did he think? What was he thinking as he served the disciples the Last Supper? What was he thinking as he bent over and washed their feet? Well, the good news for us is that John actually tells us. In John chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, John gives us four specific things that. Jesus knew things that he was thinking about. And this is what he said. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, got up from the table, set aside his outer garments, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed the disciples' feet. Four things that Jesus knew. First, he knew that his hour had come. Paul, in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 4, says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us who were under the law. The fullness of time wasn't just that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The fullness of time came to a climax when he would lay down his life for those who had been condemned by the law to be set free from the consequences of the law. Jesus knew that that time had come. It reminds me of that great Old Testament story in the book of Esther when Esther, struggling with whether or not she is going to fulfill what mission God had clearly set before her, putting her in this house where only she could influence the king to save all of her people. And her cousin Mordecai said, who is to say that you were not put here for just such a time as this? And so if we're to love like Jesus loved, I think one of the things we have to know is we have to know when the time has come for us to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill? When will your hour come? Will you be ready? Will you have the mind of Christ to know that the hour, the opportunity to love as Jesus loved has come, the opportunity to serve as Jesus has served is come? It requires that we are vigilant and prepared. Jesus knew that his hour had come. The second thing that Jesus knew is that the Father had given all things into his hands. This is the confidence of knowing that all the resources of heaven were available to him. The old gospel song, maybe you've sung it before, he could have called 10,000 angels. All the resources of heaven were available to Jesus. And they're available to his followers as we seek to fulfill his mission in the world too. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you as well. Why do you worry? Why do you worry asking what will you eat and what will you drink and what will you wear? God has provided everything you need to fulfill the commandment that Jesus has given you to love as he has loved. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. Are you trusting God to provide you with what you need to do what he's called you to do? Or do you think God is too poor to supply that resource that you know will be required in order for you to be obedient to Jesus' call to love as he is loved? Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. The third thing he knew is that he had come from God. John 3:16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus knew his mission from the beginning, before the creation of the world. Jesus understood what his purpose was. In John chapter 5 verse 19, Jesus said that the son only does what he what the father has commanded him to do. He only does what he sees the Father doing. He knew that he had come and was acting under the full authority of God, that he did not act on his own, but he was accomplishing his Father's will. Are you so closely connected to the Father that you would feel confident to know that all you said and all you did and all of your actions were representative of his will for your life? I can't say that. But it's to live so closely to God that you understand that he has sent you. He has sent all of us by Jesus' invitation to join him in his great redemptive mission in the world. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus understood that he came from God. And the fourth thing is that he knew he was going back to God. In Mark chapter 14, verse 62, Jesus, as he's Facing his confu- can, as he's facing his accuser, says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. Now that's a pretty bold thing to say as you're standing before your accusers who are just about to savagely beat you and nail you to a cross. You guys just wait. You think you've won now, but you're going to see me, the son of man, you're gonna see me seated at the right hand of God. Paul says that we're to have the mind of Christ that we're to hum, as he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, so we are. But he doesn't end there. He says, therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the place that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll see and you'll know He knew where he was going. John, who recorded this account for us, also records in Revelation a vision he had of heaven, and he said in Revelation 14, 14, then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown in his head. Jesus knew the final outcome. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him he faced the cross. Wasn't that the crucifixion was joyful? It's that what was on the other side of the crucifixion was joyful—the redemption that would be offered through His sacrifice, the new life that would be available, and the glory of the Father that would be revealed to all mankind. Do you live with the assurance of knowing that you that you will be in God's presence for all eternity? I think Jesus was able to love the way he loved because he understood these things. And the beauty of this story is that because of what Jesus has done and because of the gift of his word, we too can know these things. We can practice them by faith. And so when we take the bread and when we take the cup and when we're called to remember, to think again, I think we're called to remember maybe what we wouldn't know apart from what Jesus has revealed to us. That his hour came and he fulfilled his mission. That he had come from God. That the Father had put all things into his hands and that he was going back to God. See, I think this is really about our personal security. Jesus, I believe, was the only completely secure human being that ever lived. He was secure in the Father's timing. He was secure with the Father's provision. He was secure in his position. He was secure with his ultimate destiny. And with security comes the freedom to serve and love others humbly. Nothing to prove, no one to impress, but it's hard for an insecure person to be humble. Insecure people are so concerned with their own standing and position that they can't risk humility and an act of service that might be required of them. See, Jesus could kneel and wash the disciples' feet and endure the shame and humiliation of the cross because he knew who he was, he knew where he was from, he knew whose he was, and he knew where he was going. Humility is the faith to believe that God has not forgotten you. And so Jesus was able to serve and love his others, even to the point of death. So as we share in communion tonight and remember Jesus' mandate on Maundy Thursday, may we do it with a new commitment to love others as Jesus loved, to serve others as Jesus served. May we do more than go through the symbolism and the motions of taking bread and wine, but may this symbolize that we also have the mind of Christ in us. May we think like him so that we might love and serve like him. I'm going to invite those who are helping to serve communion this evening to come forward. And we invite anyone who's present tonight, um, regardless of your church affiliation, to participate in communion If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome at the table tonight. If maybe tonight uh, you are not a Christ follower and you're here to observe, we invite you to understand the the meaning, the significance of this for us, that it's the body and blood of Christ that has been broken and the blood that's been poured out for us. And so we do this in remembrance of his sacrifice on our behalf. There are going to be ushers going up and down the aisles who will invite you to come forward, and as you come forward, There will be people there to serve you, first with the bread, and you'll take a piece of the bread from the basket, and then they will offer the cup to you, and you'll take the bread, and you'll dip the bread in the cup, and then you can take communion and return to your seats. We ask that as you participate in this, you just wait for the ushers to come to your aisle uh, to release you, and then as you return to your seat, uh, just to reflect and do what Jesus called us to do, to remember the meaning of this as we reflect on the mandate that he left for his church. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, no one in the room could fully comprehend or understand the mandate that Jesus left to love others as he was going to love them, as he had loved them, as he will eternally love us. And for 2,000 years, the church has gathered and done exactly what Jesus commanded us to do by taking these elements and reflecting and remembering. But Lord, I I believe even tonight as we take the bread and remember the body of Christ that is broken as we dip it in the cup and remember the blood that was poured out for us. Father, we pray that we might have in our own minds the mind of Jesus, that we also might be so humble that we would be obedient. Lord, to the point that we would be a living sacrifice, poured out for your glory and your honor in the world today, that we might love as Jesus loved And as we do that, that we might reflect Jesus to a world who is so desperate for one to love them like he has loved them. May we proclaim the message of this gospel in the way we live. And may we live this way because we are ever mindful of the command that Jesus gave us and the example that he set before us. So tonight, Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to our hearts as we reflect on these truths. And we thank you for your love and your invitation to come to the table. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.